My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Hi, Snap listeners. We are bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen's hit series, Accident, Suicide, or Murder, airing on Oxygen on Saturdays at 8, 7 central. You can also watch full episodes live or on demand on the free Oxygen app by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy. A romantic getaway ends in tragedy. He had accidentally shot his girlfriend. We could see blood on her face. It was horrible. It broke us to the core. But what begins is an open and shut case. It pretty much looked like an accidental shooting. We as law enforcement did not look at it that way. Turns into an explosive showdown. The next time he came to the window, he had the gun pointed at his head. He was just a shell of a human. Revealing a damning pattern of abuse. We're looking at a potential two-time killer. There are people out there that get away with homicide because you can't prove it otherwise. Or they're smart enough to really make it look like an accident. Yakutat is a small fishing fly-in town. There's a lot of, of people coming for their honeymoons. It's a real relaxed atmosphere. July 21st, 1996. The peaceful morning was interrupted when police received a bizarre 911 call from a local fishing lodge. A distraught guest had reported accidentally shooting his girlfriend in their room during the night. For the normal person, it's a pretty nasty scene. We found the victim uh, laying back in bed. Her bottom half of her body was underneath the covers. She was laying back onto some pillows that had been stacked up, you know, like you normally do to sit in bed. Of course, basically the top of her head was gone. 
a 12-gauge shotgun that might have been used in the incident was still there. A 12-gauge is pretty devastating. And as I recall in the reports, mention of some teeth that had been embedded in the wall by the force of the blast. And it was an awful, awful, awful scene. Was this a mishap or had the trigger been pulled with intent? The boyfriend of the victim had been alone with her during the incident. Despite his traumatized state, investigators gathered his version of events. The victim was Sandra Perry. She was 38. She was from uh, the state of Washington. Her and her boyfriend, Robert Kowalski, had come up to Alaska as kind of a romantic getaway. They were in Yakutat just briefly for about a week to picnic, hike, uh, just enjoy the surroundings. They had been enjoying themselves. And of course, Alaska got a lot of bears right around your cabins. He had a shotgun that had been lent to him by the owner of the lodge for bear protection. Robert Kowalski was extremely upset about the, the situation. He was telling us basically they returned from drinking at the bar there at the lodge, 310 in the morning, and he said they had been sitting there and Sandra indicated to Robert that she thought maybe there was a bear or something at the window. Robert stated that he'd picked up the shotgun to, you know, check it out. And he said that she had said boo or something that startled him and uh, that when he turned and tripped and fell on her with the shotgun, it went off. Mr. Kowalski sat in the room with Sandra Perry's body for the rest of the evening. After the incident, Robert was extremely upset. He thought he probably went into shock and he said he'd considered committing suicide. And then when he did come out of the room and go down to the office, he had a very difficult time describing it. To me, myself, that's a real indicator. I mean, when you've got somebody that doesn't call right away, so you have to look at both the accidental part and the homicide part. If it's a homicide, her killer had to be brought to justice, and the family members that were left behind, it's a terrible travesty, you know, when, when people die. Sandy Perry was my sister. Sandy wanted to be friends to everyone. She had a heart of gold. My mother was happy and was always there for me and tried to give me as much love as I needed, even when I was a pain in the ass. I don't know how to describe her except for the, the most amazing woman in the world. Sandra was like my second mom. We rode horses, we rode dirt bikes. We were from the nut house. We were always crazy doing something. My mom always tried her best to have time for all of her children. She was always caring and supportive. My mother was married two times, once to my father and then once to my stepdad. The divorce came and we didn't know if she'd even start dating. She wasn't quite ready yet. Something changed when Sandra met Robert Kowalski in the summer of 1995 while living and working outside of Seattle. The first time we met Bob Kowalski, he was a very nice guy, very polite. He treated Sandy like she was a princess. Sandy 
just was head over heels. We were hoping she would find somebody just like this to make her happy and the kids happy. She told us that Bob had asked her to go to Alaska, that they could make a small vacation out of it because it was beautiful up there. I remember the day that she left, we were both standing at the door. She were giving us hugs and kisses goodbye as she would, like whenever she went places, let us know that she loved us. And for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, I knew she shouldn't get on that plane. Sandy was supposed to be only gone a week, and Jeremy was gonna go pick her up. Their flight came in, and as the last person walked off, there was no mom. I, I just felt super off, and I'm like, something's not right. Later on that night, my daughter Gina woke me up in the middle of the night and says, Mom, there's there's an officer on the phone from Alaska. He said, something happened to your sister. They never left Bear Lodge. She was still there because there was an accident. I remember walking onto the back porch of my grandma's house, and then everybody being there, I thought it was a little weird. I found out basically your mom has passed away. I pretty much bawled my eyes out, couldn't believe it was true. Um, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do. I just sit in my room, look at the ceiling, think about my mother. I had to register what just happened. It was unreal. It broke us to the core. It was very heartbreaking. Miles from Sandra's family in Washington, the investigation into her death deepened during the autopsy. Although the cause of death was quickly confirmed as a gunshot, something surprising was found. When she was examined, there was a, a perfect circular mark on her body. A uh, impression on her chest, consistent with the muzzle of the uh, shotgun being pressed into her chest. That was very odd. Mr. Kowalski said that he'd fell forward and actually poked her with the gun. The first thing that you kind of ask yourself is, well, why didn't the shotgun go off then? His story was when he was getting up from falling onto her is when the shotgun went off. And generally, it's gonna be the impact is when you're gonna squeeze the trigger. To me, that's when the gun should have went off had it been an accident. To us, that was a poke, an aggressive type mark. Was Kowalski telling the truth? An interview with another guest at the lodge added a layer to Kowalski's story. Richard Tenwald was a person that was staying in room number nine, the room that would have been next to Sandra Perry and Robert Kowalski's room. He stated that that night, he'd heard them come back to their room approximately two o'clock. At that point, he thought there was some arguing going on. Robert seemed to be telling her to be quiet and she was not, she was being loud and kind of obnoxious. Then they went to sleep, Richard Tenwald and his, his roommate. 
And about 3.10, they woke up to a bang that they thought was a gunshot. They'd actually got up and looked out the room but didn't see anything, so they went back to bed. Not only did he establish the timeline, but he also could establish there was an argument going on. So that would indicate it was a fired in anger shot. It's certainly possible that what had happened was not an accident, but an intentional killing. My immediate family all believed that something was up. You've got the medical examiner, of course, calling it a accidental. No attempt to CPR, no 911. If this was an accident, why wasn't something done sooner? The punches just keep coming. State troopers were investigating a shooting incident that left Sandra Perry deceased and her boyfriend, Robert Kowalski, holding the shotgun. Kowalski had claimed it was an accident, but two days later, another guest reported having heard an argument between the couple within an hour of the fatal shot. Was this truly accidental, or could it be an act of anger? There was an indication there might have been an argument, but they weren't sure because Richard Tenwald, who was in the next room over from where the victim was shot, didn't hear any argument from Robert. In the interviews Mr. Kowalski had with the troopers, he explained that Sandra talked loud. In particular, she was talking loud because her ears hadn't unpopped from the flight into Yakutat. It's certainly possible that's what Mr. Tenwold was hearing, was her talking loud. It's a plausible story, so you can't establish a true argument that would actually truly point to a homicide. The lodge owner indicated that he thought they were really in love and so didn't think there was a hate going on there. So there wasn't a lot that we were able to glean out of the witnesses in that case and didn't really find any history of violence at all from Robert. But then you've got the officers who actually felt it was a homicide. You've got the drinking going on, the fact that it wasn't reported immediately. You've got that 12 gauge mark in her body, which to us would have indicated a previous strike. But it doesn't show if they were arguing when the shot took place or if it was an accident. So with what was given at the time, the chances of getting a guilty conviction may have been pretty slim. While detectives shored up their evidence, Sandra's family struggled to comprehend how this idyllic vacation had ended the life of their dearly departed. My grandmother and my aunt Glory had to fly to Alaska to identify the remains and to have her brought back to Washington State for her funeral. We put personal things from the children into the casket so that it could go with her. The family loved her very, very much. I remember when I got to my mother's funeral, Robert was there and I was, I was not pleased to say the least. We wanted to believe that it was an accident. However, how could Bob show his face 
at my aunt's funeral. It was very ballsy of Robert to make it. We all kind of let it fly because my mom brought him and we have respect for her, but deep in our hearts we're going, no, Bob does not belong here. My grandma, uh, bless her heart, she wanted to believe that he was innocent. Nobody would want to believe that somebody could actually do that to their daughter. It was a real bummer that he was there. Even though it was an accident, he took away my family, the children's mother. It was like a slap in the face. We didn't hear from him very much at all after the funeral. He didn't want to talk to anybody. And that's when we got the DA up there and a lawyer in Alaska to find out exactly what happened up there. Detectives had compiled their evidence, but would it be enough to build a case for murder and sway the medical examiner? According to the autopsy, there were no defensive wounds to suggest that there had been some kind of a physical altercation between the two. Kowalski had given relatively or fairly consistent statements. There were some discrepancies, but nothing that could not be explained away and nothing to really contradict Mr. Kowalski's account. So without evidence to suggest the contrary strongly, it pretty much looked like an accidental shooting. We as law enforcement did not look at it that way. But the medical examiner's office classified this as an accidental shooting. There wasn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this was not an accident. And you don't want to take a case that you may not be able to prove to trial for a number of reasons. If you take a case and they're found not guilty, your chances of prosecuting them later is zero. So sometimes it's, I hate to say it, better to wait. And that's what he told us, that there was not enough evidence, that it was an accident, and that's what we hear, and that's what we had to take. It was yet again an, another hard time in life. I mean, it, it, the punches just keep coming. Sandra's family wrestled with the ending of the investigation. Months of unrest slowly became years. My immediate family all believed that something was off. We were beginning to believe it wasn't so much an accident to the point that my mother started investigating herself. And when my lawyer went up there, we found out all the records were destroyed. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Sandra Perry's family began privately investigating her death, they discovered that the Alaska police evidence was gone. It was a case that was closed because it was believed to be accidental. That meant that after a certain period of time, the evidence would be destroyed. Every few years, most of your law enforcement agencies go through their evidence rooms and their files and get rid of the evidence in those. All the interviews with Mr. Kowalski and others, uh, they were destroyed per standard procedures. It was hard to comprehend, and all of a sudden, I just, I was paralyzed. Although suspicions remained nearly two years after Sandra's death, setbacks piled up and her family was running out of options. Ultimately, we knew that we were fighting a never-ending battle. The lawyers, decision was to try to go after a wrongful death suit. If Bob did it purposely, the children would receive nothing. But if it was declared an accident, they could go to his insurance, and each child would have money that they could use when they got older. And we thought, this is for the best. At least the children come out ahead. My mother decided to take the money. All was said and done, and the case was over. We were angry the whole time, but it was out of our hands. All we could do was help the kids to move on. With something like that happening at such a young age, I don't know, six, seven years old, I did my best to move on and try to have somewhat of a normal life, but it was very hard to pick up the pieces. I can't begin to tell you uh, how much I miss her every day. I can't begin to explain the, the, the hurt there is in my heart that my, my kids can't see their grandmother. I mean, I could only dream of what the possibilities are. I'll never know. Why do bad things happen to good people, you know? Nobody else needs to suffer like this. Sadly, the shock waves of Sandra Perry's untimely death would be felt years and miles away. This is a place because of its vastness where people come to maybe forget their pasts and forget maybe who they were, because it's real easy to disappear once you get up here. 911, what's the address of the emergency? I've got a report of a dead body. Okay, is it an accident or? Evidently it's a shooting. 
The shooter had returned to his home that morning, had told his roommate there had been a terrible accident and that he had accidentally shot his girlfriend. The shooting happened at his girlfriend's house? Right. I was home doing my laundry, like I said, in my underwear. Okay, and then he showed up and told you all of this. And And when you left, what exactly was he doing? Walking around crying and said he was going to shoot himself. Okay, do you know if she's dead or not? Maybe she's alive, maybe she's not. I have no clue. That prompted units to start to respond to the girlfriend's residence. When deputies first responded to the house, there was no response at the door. A deputy looked through the window and he could see the victim slumped in a chair. And so they forced entry and determined that she was deceased. When Sheriff's Dispatch received a call, they learned that the victim's name is Lorraine Morin. She was a mother of six children. We could see blood on her face, blood on her mouth, and on her forehead was what appeared to be a V-shaped cut. There is a lot of discolorization, and it appeared initially that she had been deceased for quite a while. I later learned that she had been shot just above the chin area, and it had went through and was lodged or severed the C2 vertebrae, which says that she probably would have died instantly. Every time somebody makes a claim of an accident or something, there has to be evidence to prove that. So we're looking for things of maybe a a scuffle, some kind of altercation. We're also looking for a firearm. On the floor was a broken telephone and a TV had been turned over. There was a holster laying nearby that's from a small revolver, but no revolver at that time, told us that her boyfriend took that with him. At that time, we couldn't determine if this was accidental. However, it was obvious there had been some kind of a big disturbance. The home was quickly secured as a potential crime scene as deputies rushed to the boyfriend's house in nearby Kalispell to check on him. We knew at the time the shooter was at his residence. We knew that at this point he was suicidal, which would probably make him dangerous. The Flathead County SWAT team was the first on scene. Immediately following something that traumatic, people can do just about anything. I was the first negotiator on scene. The SWAT team set up a perimeter, and I moved around to a building on the back side of the residence. At that point, basically, I was just shouting from the back of a building trying to get him to answer. I knew what his name was, and that's about all I had to work with at that point. His name was Robert Kowalski. after Robert Kowalski's accidental shooting in Alaska had been settled in civil court. A similar incident found Kowalski holed up, hiding from Montana police. It just intensified. I mean, the heat was turned up right away on this. The majority of us thought that maybe he had just been so guilt-ridden over this. 
accidental shooting that he was just going to end it. What happened yesterday was an accident. We know that. How am I going to live with that, Ernie? I'm so sad that she's gone, but you have a lot more to live for. And so the team moved up to do what was called a break and rake. This is where we break the window, rake it clean in case we had to make entry. And that's when things changed. That's when we heard the gunshot. We didn't know what had happened, whether he was shooting at us or he shot himself. But you assume the worst. You assume it was at that moment, negotiations weren't moving forward, and that maybe he had taken his life in his own hands. But I kept trying to make contact with him. While the situation at Kowalski's home escalated into a standoff, the victim's family were notified back at the crime scene. When I pulled into the driveway, I was stopped by an officer, and he asked me who I was and why I was here. And I informed him that this was my mother's house, and his face just went ghost white. He was just about to tell me the worst news of my life. My mother, Lorraine Morin, had been shot, and she was no longer with us. I just dropped to the ground and started crying. She wore her heart on her sleeve, but she was tough as nails. She just had this way about her that it was just beauty in everything she did. My mother never missed a single event. Basketball game, baseball game, play, detention, all around good mother. She had horses, she took care of people's horses out on the property for a while. Yeah, it was great. It was kind of like, I mean, picture perfect for the majority of it. My mom met Robert Kowalski in 2005. He seemed like he was an honest, hardworking, faithful guy. There was never a question whether or not he was dangerous. The night before it happened, I called out there, and my daughter was supposed to stay the night out there. And mom said, oh, well, not tonight. Robert and I are having date night. I said, all right, mom, well, I love you. And that's the last time I spoke with her. <clears throat> She was all about the kids. And uh, a lot of them she didn't get to meet. <laughs> For me, it was important that they got him out alive because I didn't want him to take the easy way out. And at that moment, I wanted to know what really happened. While Lorraine Morin's family wrestled with the shocking loss, officers struggled to determine if Kowalski was still alive inside his home. The SWAT team again approached the house with a camera on the end of a pole, and they put it in through a broken window. We were expecting to see his dead body in the room, and he grabbed the pole and pulled it away from the officers. Well, for us, that worked wonderfully because we determined he was still alive. People were able to watch through the windows from a distance with optics, and he was normally always carrying the gun at his side. We're able to enter 
Mr. Kowalski's information into the system to kind of figure out what our history is. We noticed his history had some partner family member assaults. Individually, those things are just incidents. But when you line them up with what our current situation is, it plays a big part in his personality. The more we learn about him, the more I can use that in dialogue with him. It's called hooks and triggers. Hooks are things you talk to him about, triggers are ones you never mention. Hurting yourself is just gonna hurt everyone you love. We can still have this game peacefully. As it went on and on and on, it became apparent this was going to be a larger news story that likely went into the next state. We just had no idea how long it would last. So it was very tense. We had been there at that point around 29 hours, and the sheriff decided it was time to escalate. So they pumped gas into the house. Oh, damn it! And after the first series of gas went into the house, the next time he came to the window to talk to me, he had the gun pointed at his head. After the allegedly accidental shooting of Lorraine Morin, Robert Kowalski faced off with police, threatening suicide as tear gas filled his home. I was using my hooks, trying to convince him that was not the way to go. He had an older son that he was really close to. Richard loves you. He's planning on you getting him a job this summer. Take the gun away from your head. That's not how we're going to answer this. I could visually see him put the gun down and walk away from it. He disappeared in the house. He unlocked the front door, stepped outside. We safely took him into custody. It was a huge relief that it was over. Nobody was hurt. And then it turned to, OK, what happened to Lorraine Morin? Kowalski was immediately brought in for questioning. Would his account of an accidental shooting align with the evidence left in his wake at Lorraine Morin's home? His basic story was that she came home intoxicated and they started to fight. The argument escalated. He went and grabbed her gun, was trying to get her to stop screaming at him. So he said he shot the TV in order to get her attention. She was still hollering at him, so he said he pushed her down in a chair, then he went over to the couch and plopped down, and when he plopped down on the couch, the gun went off. As I had learned from officers that were at the crime scene, there was gunpowder stippling on her face, which means a close contact gunshot wound and the couch he plopped down on was of a sufficient distance that there would have been no gunshot stippling at all. So I knew he was lying about where he was when the gun went. He remained with Lorraine's body until the next day. No attempt to CPR, no 911. If this was an accident, why wasn't something done sooner? 
But the most damning part of Kowalski's past was still yet to be revealed to the Montana investigators. Somebody gathering intel had talked to an ex-girlfriend when we were trying to get information on him, and we learned that he had shot and killed a girlfriend in Alaska, and he was never prosecuted. It was deemed as an accident. I said, well, I'm going to start searching, and I spoke to a local FBI agent who put me in contact with the Alaska State Police. I talked to Pat Walsh. This case that they had matched what happened in our events in Alaska. A lot of similarities. We have Kowalski's accident story, we have a relationship involved, and we have a firearm. There is also that V-shaped cut on her forehead, apparently was made with the muzzle of the revolver. Well, in the Alaska case, they found the imprint on her chest of the barrel of the shotgun. The similarity of the crime shows exactly the same kind of behavior. We are looking at a potential two-time killer. In light of this new information, we're taking it very seriously, and that he is going to be charged to the fullest extent of the law. I believe it was the very next day, Flathead County prosecutors charged Robert Kowalski with Rainey's murder in Montana. My mind was just reeling with grief and all these questions. It just seemed so bizarre that somebody relatively easygoing could do something like this. I thought to myself, this is what he does. He ruins people's lives, and then he runs away from it. It's an accident. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. And then he does it again. But this time, he got caught. As the preliminary hearing approached, news spread of Kowalski's murder charges. My wife called me in, in tears and uh, told me that Robert had done it again. He's killed another woman. It, it was horrible. The sons of both victims formed an unlikely brotherhood as Kowalski faced trial in Montana. Jeremy and his brother Brad, good guy, good, good group of people, uh, came up here for Robert Kowalski's hearing and <clears throat> sat with me and my family. So I figured maybe that would give me some sort of closure, having somebody else have the exact same thing from the exact same person happen. We sat down in the courtroom, and Robert Kowalski, the guy that murdered my mother, sat down five feet in front of me. And I remember me just starting to shake. He didn't seem like he even had a soul behind his eyes. He was just a shell of a human. There are people out there that get away with homicide because you can't prove it otherwise. Or they're smart enough to really make it look like an accident. But with this case, when you compare the physical evidence involved, it's very feasible that it was a homicide. There's no question that he's going to be convicted if he goes to trial. And he ended up accepting a plea bargain. His plea was what's called an Alford plea. 
which does not admit guilt, but says there's a lot of bad evidence here that makes it look bad for me. They don't have to get up and say they're sorry. They don't have to get up and testify. They just simply accept the plea and they're sentenced. And he was sentenced to 50 years in the Montana State Prison with 10 years suspended. He was found guilty finally in Montana. Our family wanted to prove he killed Sandy as well. Was justice possible for Sandra 12 years after her case was closed? I was very encouraged about prosecuting the killing of Sandra Perry in Yakutat when I started to see the details of what had happened in uh, Montana. When we saw the evidence from Montana and the, the similarities between that, we absolutely knew we had it. The physical evidence in the Alaska case had been destroyed, but the police report still existed. So the case was reopened for investigation in 2008. Next thing, we were getting phone calls from Alaska detectives. Our reaction was, let's get it. After the shooting of Sandra Perry, Alaska State Troopers set out to build a murder case against Robert Kowalski. When I found out that my mom's case was going to be reopened, I was worried. They had a lot of work ahead of them from what didn't happen years prior. In 98, the case basically had been pretty much destroyed. They would have to rebuild the case piece by piece, so they started with the ear witness closest to the event. Sometimes people will actually be more forthcoming than the first time that you talk to them. So we went back and re-interviewed Richard Tenwald. He was in the next room over from where the victim was shot. He had witnessed actually Sandra and Robert arguing the day before the shooting. Sandra had been talking to these other fishermen down by the fishing table and Robert got extremely upset about it and was really dressing her down. And then one of the main things that Richard Tenwald told was the fact that when the shooting took place, Sandra Perry was yelling and screaming up to the point where the shot was fired. So what he essentially said was that in mid-sentence, the shot ended her conversation. According to Mr. Tenwold, back in 1996, he really didn't want to get involved. He didn't think it was that significant, but the revelations were important. This new testimony revealed Kowalski's malice towards Sandra Perry on the night of the shooting. Through all the work that we did, the medical examiner's office reclassified that incident from a accidental shooting to a homicide. And that allowed our DA's office to prosecute it. Mr. Kowalski was extradited to Alaska. Once that happened, uh, trials were set. Although Kowalski would be imprisoned for his crime in Montana, parole was not out of the question. For Sandra's family, all hope was riding on this trial. 
what if this doesn't go? You know, there was a possibility. Who knows if he would have got out again. He's already destroyed two families. I didn't want to see him destroy another one. Would Alaska prosecutors have enough to put Kowalski away for another homicide? One of the things that made this case unforgettable is that another state was able to use our evidence. The jury in Alaska was allowed to hear basically all of the facts surrounding the killing in Montana. That made a big difference. If the judge allows it, you can use that evidence to show one or the other was not an accident. In 2014, Robert Kowalski is convicted of second-degree murder in Alaska and basically given the same sentence he received in Montana, which is 50 years with 10 suspended to be served after he's done with his time in Montana. We were excited. <laughs> we were excited. He finally got what he, he deserved. He's never going to hurt another person again. He's in jail for the rest of his life. I was definitely glad to hear that if there was a chance that he ever was to get out here, that he would go straight there and serve out his sentence there, which I'm sure they would hold him for the entire time. If they would have just prosecuted this Alaska case, Lorraine Morin would have still been alive I mean, I was really upset. As bad as it is, it allowed Alaska to prosecute him. I do think it weighs heavily on the criminal justice system, but we were fortunate enough that we could give a voice to another victim and hopefully bring some closure. Me talking about this is a chance for my mother's death to not be in vain. She's taught me that family is number one, and I, I hold my family dear because of that. So I'm, I'm just thankful for, for having a chance to have a mother like that. I still live in the house where my mother passed away with my family because the memories there outweigh the one tragedy. My mom's still there. When I'm riding my horses, I always feel her with me. She used to come pick me up from the bus stop with my pony and we'd race home and gallop across the wheat fields. She's the wind in my hair and the wings on my back. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill 
to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.